You're listening to Self Worst. This is a podcast about failure, day jobs, bad habits, mental health, and the fleeting sense of sanity, worth, and dignity that we all chase under capitalism. We're going to talk about trauma. We're going to talk about art. We're going to talk about spiritualism, imposter syndrome, perfectionism, and the mirage of meritocracy. Each week, Artists, designers, losers, dirtbags, musicians, degenerates, performers, comedians, actors, scholars, fuck-ups, crazies, filmmakers, veterans, sluts, commies, activists, addicts, teachers, fatties, queers, and all other types of beautiful people. Join me, Brad Pearson, a mediocre white guy, in a discussion of what to do with this stupid, sacred life. Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you want to confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on Self-Worst Hello everybody, welcome to episode 90 of Self-Worst We are finally getting into the 90s, we are finally 10 away from 100 It's taken a while to get here you know, I haven't been putting these out as often as I would like. It's, you know, depression's a thing. And making a self-produced, self-made podcast is also a thing. I'm not going to get in my head about all of that. About how I took some time off. About how I'm not perfectly putting one out every week. Fuck it. I, I'll, I'll get to 100 when I get to 100. Maybe. Or maybe I'll stop at 99. <laughs> maybe you only got 9 left, so savor it. Or I'll just start the counter over. I don't know. Who cares? I do a little bit, because I can't stop internalizing uh, hustle culture and... And, and feeling like I need to have more and more and more stuff to show for everything. Anyway, I'm doing okay. I had a I, uh, up early again, making some podcasting in the morning, like I do. Having some herbal tea for my tummy. Tummy's feeling a little weird today. I don't know what that's about. Had a uh, had a. PB and J for breakfast, because I'm a I'm a grown man. I'm a big boy. I make a I make a, a big adult sandwich for breakfast. And that's what I do. Um, Panta, you know, I've been thinking about maybe I should put in a disclaimer at the beginning of every episode, and I I do that sometimes, and I don't do that sometimes. But you know, I, sure, let's do it this time while I have it in mind. General trigger warning for all y'all. Uh, we, we do talk about, uh, you know, suicidal ideation, depression, stuff like that. Obviously, it's a mental health podcast. I am not an expert. I'm not a doctor. This is not, uh, this is not treatment. If you are experiencing some sort of, uh, mental health crisis, seek professional help. Talk to somebody who actually knows what they're doing and isn't, uh, a, a dumb guy who, who eats PB&Js for breakfast. How about that? I'm just saying Okay, so we are talking to my dear friend, Maggie Robinson Katz. Uh, we've known each other for a long time. We're going to talk about a little bit about, you know, how we met and all that stuff. Um, she, she lived here in New York. Uh, she lives in, in St. Paul, Minnesota now. Um, moved, you know, during the pandemic, 
like a lot of people did. She is a uh, performer, a musician, kind of a polymath, does a lot of stuff. Um, we talk about this in the episode. She has a podcast that she produced with the New Yorker Radio Hour called The Long Distance Con. She made that in 2018. Uh, long story short, her dad had a whole lot of money growing up um, when she was growing up. And then he got conned out of all of his money and it was really fucked up. And they went and found the guy who uh, did that. It's very interesting. We talk about it a little bit in the episode, but I do strongly recommend going and uh, listening to that. You can do it on the same little phone that you're listening on now. It's not that much work. Um, She's also in a band, a Dolly Parton cover band called Doll Parts. They are playing a show uh, Saturday, July 3rd at the Bell House uh, here in Brooklyn. Uh, If you are anywhere in the New York area, go see it. It's fucking awesome. I'm going to put ticket link uh, in the show notes. Uh, Yeah, go see it. You got to be vaccinated. Of course, I mean, get... Okay, sidebar here. Get fucking vaccinated. If you're not already vaccinated, what's with you? If you live in the New York area, like, come on, they're, they're just, they're fucking, they're driving around in trucks handing them out. Get on that shit. I want to hear, okay, look, I want to hear any of this fucking, uh, I don't trust big pharma, me, me either. That's capitalism. You don't dislike vaccines. You dislike big corporations that own everything. I'm with you there. But you got to be a team player, bro. Get vaccinated. If you're not vaccinated, you are an incubator for variants. You understand that? It it doesn't matter if the rest of us are vaccinated. If your stupid body isn't vaccinated and then there's a variant breeding in your stupid body that gets around the vaccine that we already went out of our way to get. You get it? So put down your fucking Eye of Newt and Witch Hazel and all that shit and get in line behind a fucking big corporation for once in your life. Just do it. Put on your big boy pants. Get vaccinated. Then you can go see Doll Parts. You're going to make Dolly Parton happy. She helped come up with the Moderna vaccine. She funded it. You want to make Dolly Parton sad? You're going to turn down Dolly Parton. Don't be an asshole. Okay. I didn't mean to go on a rant. I didn't mean to get soapboxy. I just have some feelings about people out there still uh, being uh, little bitches about uh, getting vaccinated. Get with it. Get with the fucking program. Be an adult. Live in society. We need you. It's not like it's not like your own personal choice with your own body, and like it's like driving without a seatbelt, and like you're only putting yourself at risk. It's like running through a red light. You're endangering other people. You understand? Duh. I think I'm just I'm getting grumpy because I'm drinking this hot tea, and I'm uh, I had to turn the fan off for sound. I'm perspiring slightly. It's morning. I'm already sweating. It's not fun to sweat in the morning. 
unless you're exercising and you can wash it off later. Anyway, um, I don't know. Housekeeping. Rate and review on iTunes. Help us out. Uh, give us five stars. Uh, tell a friend. All of that shit. Patreon.com slash self-worst. I got bonus content. I got episodes. Bonus episodes that only you can hear. I, I, I give you a special link. A secret. And you can know even deeper things about me. Hmm? Do it. It's fine. Okay. Uh, that's all. Um... I'll see you on the flip side of the show and with the outro and all that. Let's go to the interview with my dear friend, Maggie Robinson Katz. Here we are. Let's go. Here we are. Thanks. Uh, thanks for <laughs> thanks for being flexible. I'm oh, you know, it is this, what it is. Uh, you know, I know I'm on. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm asking people to come on this show uh, for free and for no real reason. So you know, it's it's uh, <laughs> we, we do it when we can do it. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. I don't like to be a a spacey person, but these days I am. So just <laughs> rolling Flake, with flakiness, it. It happens. It's okay. Um, yeah, so what what you. are you what are you working on? Uh, so I'm working on this podcast about the mob. So it's like totally taken over my life. Um, and I actually had a dream As the last mob night. Does. <laughs> yeah. I had a dream last night about Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I'm sorry like, about that. That's gross. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, he took down the mob in the 80s. So it's like this southern district of New York has entered my subconscious. Right. So, yeah. So you've done a lot of work on uh, podcasts and stuff. I have. Yeah, I um, I made uh, I started by doing a podcast for The New Yorker about my family and my family trauma. Mm -hmm. And then since then, I've just been doing all sorts of different podcast stuff here and there. I definitely want to get into the uh, New Yorker podcast, um, but why don't we just start out and just uh, give a little, little bit of origin story, how we know each other, and uh, you yeah. know, who you are, where you're from, and all that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we I um, we used to live together. We did. Uh, we did live together. That's right. We've known each other for <laughs> yeah. quite a minute. For a long time. Yeah. Like, I don't know, nine years, something eight like years, that. Yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I met you through my husband, Ben Katz, um, who knew you from Minneapolis. And yes. so when you were moving to New York, I actually remember, I feel like I remember the first time I met you was after repatriate. That's or possible. Like, we went to go see, did we see Jurassic Park or something? Cause I remember it was like you, Maybe it wasn't, but it was some movie, and I feel like it was you, John Lang, and Ben, and we all like. Saw oh, the movie. you know what? It could be. Yeah, you know what? That's so far back now. I don't remember that whole like first year or two of New York is pretty hazy for me. Um, I don't know. I mean, you met me when I was in like one of the, the more depressive uh, times in my life, so that was that must have been an interesting <laughs> time to get to know me. <laughs> Yeah. So. yeah, I don't, you know, that whole room, I mean, that apartment was so interesting of like sharing a, a 
park slope apartment with four people yeah um, it was yeah because it was it was kind of like a dirtbag artist apartment but it was in park slope and it, you know it just like it was very incongruent with the entire vibe of the block and the neighborhood and there was yeah you also had the psycho that lived downstairs Oh no, up oh yeah, he was downstairs from us. Yeah, he sucked. But you also had like the most depressing room. I think you had like no windows. I had a window, but it looked out into just a shaft way. Like just like a <laughs> so like you'd get a little bit of ambient light. Like, you know, you would you could look at the window and know that it was daylight out there, but you that was it. Like there wasn't like actual direct light coming in. It was right. It was pretty it was pretty depressing. <laughs> so I think anyone would be depressed and like a living in, like moving to New York and living in New York the first two years like if you're not depressed you'll be depressed and then be adding like that sort of room into that mix like it's just a recipe for I mean disaster. that was an upgrade for my first room because my first room I had just enough room to put an Ikea bed like an Ikea bunk bed a twin Ikea bunk bed um but it wasn't like two beds. It, it was just the one up on risers and you were supposed to like put a couch or some shit underneath it. Um, but what I did was I had the bed set up um, so it would just clear the swinging of the door. And then underneath the bed was all of my storage. It was like I had like shirts hanging and like closet space. And then I had tucked in there i had like a tv tray and a folding chair that i would that i would like whip out and if i wanted to like if i needed to like get on the computer and i would just be like sitting like right up next to my like between my bed and the door you know just like with a with a tv tray with my laptop on a tv tray just like unemployed and fucking watching boardwalk empire for hours <laughs> just like what the fuck am i doing yeah. yeah. Was that Ben's old room? That, I remember I think, that. Yeah, yeah, Ben lived in that room for a minute, too. Um, yeah. I, I think he lived there before I did. Um, and then he moved into the nicer room. And I, I moved into... I don't... I was paying... I had that room for kind of a steal, though. I think I was paying, like, 400 500 a month or some shit for that. Like, Oh, so. which is, like, yeah, nothing. I feel I mean, like I would pay like that money now to have like a shitty room, but to be like, oh, my Pierre Terre in New York City now. I don't know. Just, like, I mean, you, you get what you pay for. We had, we had that cat who pissed on everything, and we had we we got oh yeah we left because we had bed bugs. I mean, I remember <laughs> sucked. Yeah, I remember taking Ben's old mattress out and then like it was wrapped in plastic and then just like seeing a bed bug like trapped in the plastic. Yeah, it's we somehow got away with it without getting hit too hard. Like when we moved, there was no transfer over like it was a clean break and everything was fine at the next place. You know, we like took care of it. We like burned all the right shit, you know, like moving it, like not bringing it into the new place. So yeah. I think it was, it turned out okay. But like, God damn. Remember when bed bugs were the fucking plague <laughs> instead of like the yeah. actual plague? Uh, no, I know. I, I think I that. take I bed think, bugs. I, yeah. I thought about that like several times during like the, like the beginning days of the pandemic. I was just like, oh yeah. Remember when we were all scandalized by bed bugs and we were like, oh no, bed bugs. <laughs> 
I know, like, this is the worst thing that could happen to me. I mean, oh, it's horrible. It sucks. It's, but, like, yeah. <laughs> I guess I take bed bugs over COVID. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, 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 I think the, could... the bed bug resurgence of, of uh, 2010, 2011 wasn't such a huge deal after Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it kind of sounds like a musical, bed bugs over COVID. <laughs> there is i mean but i mean you get covid from the bed bugs maybe that's the next I don't oh know. god super bed bugs yeah, yeah. the bubonic plague will just come back <laughs> i mean i i wouldn't be shocked at this point i don't know so let's talk about you a little bit let's let's go back in the in the, in the maggie <laughs> robinson story you're maggie robinson cats now that's what you go by right that's your that's yeah your that's i usual. like to go by the maggie full robinson, thing you go by the full thing okay mm-hmm. um but back in the day you were maggie robinson when you started out before you met our friend ben Katz. um so let's let's go from there oh oh my gosh do you mean from like <clears throat> I don't know. Graduation? Uh, just conception. Like, whenever you want to start. Conception? Ah, <laughs> uh, geez. Um, I mean, you know, I like, gosh, I don't even know where to start. I'm from Colorado, mm-hmm. uh, which I do take a particular pride in being from Colorado. It's an interesting uh, state. Yeah, it's beautiful, but I do come from a shitty town. I'm from Colorado Springs, which is like the evangelical capital of the States. Um, So it's a weird, it's a weird place to be from, um, especially like being the person that I am, who's not an evangelical, who's not a Christian, who's not a conservative. Uh, It's kind of amazing that I uh, ended up the way I did, was I think, was your family evangelical, Christian, conservative, any of that? No, no. I grew up, um, you know, my dad was like, like a typical rich guy and that he was like fiscally conservative, but sure. socially liberal. Uh, you know, he was like one of those. He's like a Mitt Romney Republican, I guess. Uh, but he like I learned later that like my dad was on this like Democratic think tank with Bill Clinton. And there's like this picture that I saw of him uh, after he died where he's like in a line of all these like guys in suits and like Bill Clinton's there. And like my dad's like leaning over with the biggest like grin on his face like that. He he like would always be like, yeah, he just made you feel so special. So my dad, I guess, loved Bill Clinton. What he says about that guy, he has some sort of magnetism. He has some sort of <laughs> yeah. like preternatural charm. I don't know what it is. I, mean, I don't see it. A horrible person, like not a good yeah. dude, like shitty, shitty president, sexual predator, not a great right. person. Right. But like, I mean, like he also, you know, most of my like ancestral families from Northern Ireland, but he also like helped end the trouble so like the northern irish love him my yeah. like dad loves him uh but you know yeah he's a sexual predator and a uh rapist yeah so um, anyway like most politicians like most i mean yeah but um so your family was a little bit more i, I don't know just like a little bit chiller so far as religious upbringing all of that stuff that wasn't like pounded into your head at least by your oh, direct yeah. family because like the thing that i've found is that it doesn't necessarily have to be your immediate family it's just the fucking culture that you're around yeah and you spend yeah. years like i i mean my family the same way like they were 
you know, we were fucking Unitarians. Like, they were very, like, you know, like, crunchy, you know, liberal people. But, um, but the environment around us, you know, it just, like, the, yeah, I mean, Nebraska is, yeah, it's very conservative. And that, like, a lot of that shit gets into your head in ways you don't even realize. Totally. Yeah. And it's interesting because, like, I, you know, like I didn't grow up religious. Like I didn't grow up Christian. I, I like never went to church. I'm not baptized. So I like, don't identify with like being Christian or like having been raised Christian, but I, it's like this new thing that I've discovered where I'm like, I guess, like, I guess culturally I am Christian because it's like my own, it's like thinking, you know, like Christianity. So the, the like base of like society in so many ways you know like we celebrate christmas and easter that i i just like even though i celebrated those things i never identified as christian but i guess like culturally i am it's like such a weird thing that i've been like thinking a lot about lately yeah we're like it's the it's the water in which we swim you know and when it comes to just ideas about uh family and sex and marriage and things like that like it 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 really uh has a lot of influence in in like just ways we don't even just generationally you know like even even like my kind of uh i wouldn't call them hippie parents they weren't hippies but like they were yeah they were like liberal like you know, are, were, are, you know, like very like liberal folks. Um, but I mean, you know, that's only like filtered through one generation, you know? And, and so like they grew up with all of that stuff. So like it gets passed down, like no matter what. Yeah. So, um, your dad, yeah, he, you mentioned he was, he was a pretty rich guy. He, you, you grew up fairly wealthy and then, um, and then what? Uh, well then, you know, my dad, so my dad was like a radio guy. He, uh, his like business was, he would kind of buy struggling stations and then like flip them. So he's like a radio flipper. Um, and then he built this whole network, uh, called, uh, Transstar, which was like one of the earlier technologies for satellite radio technology and what was used in airplanes for like 24 seven programming, Um, And then he sold that or he like merged with Dick Clark's company, Unistar. And then from that moment on, he kind of like he got ousted out of that company. And then from that moment on, which was like 1993, he just like became a bored rich man, um, which meant that he'd like dabble in like investments. He like tried to have a boat for a while. That boat blew up. He like got involved. (laughs) He blew up. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Yeah. He like, he like built, I, I don't know the whole story, but he like had this custom made boat that uh-huh. had like a, a problem on it. And uh, was it that it was, it was out. made out of TNT? You don't <laughs> it might have been. Yeah. It might have been that it was made out of TNT, but like the whole boat exploded. Um, and like, I, I don't know, like, the whole ins and outs. I have a lot of paperwork nobody on it. Nobody was on but it, right? Nobody got like, hurt? Nobody was on it. Okay, nobody so got then hurt. that's very funny. It just, yeah, no, it just, like, blew up. Um, And, you know, if my dad was superstitious, maybe he would have been like, hmm, this is an omen. Um, right. 
but then, so my dad also got involved in the real estate market uh, around 2008. Uh, good time to get where, in there. Yeah, 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 it was really good timing. Um, so while he was doing that, he also got involved in this like Philippine scam where he thought that he was going to make a shit ton of money by helping this guy in the Philippines get gold out of the jungle. And so from both those two things, from this Philippines scam to the real estate market, my dad lost all of his money. Um, every single penny, my dad died with nothing. And in fact, died in extreme amounts of debt. And he didn't from like 2008 to when he died in 2011, he didn't tell anybody. We had no idea that he was in such dire straits uh, and that we were in such dire straits. Um, I actually have a memory of like graduating from college and my dad being like really stressed out about um, taking me out to dinner. And like, it never like, you know, since I grew up wealthy, I like thought about money in a different way. And I like, this was the first time that I ever like heard my dad feel stressed about a bill or stressed about money. And even then, and like when I was graduating, you know, he, he was very much like, you gotta, you know, you gotta get a job, which is like a normal thing. I'm, and I am grateful in some ways that my dad lost all of his money because I think I had to like build a life for myself in the way that my older brother didn't have to right at the beginning. He like graduated and like, then just lived off of my dad's like his inheritance uh, and I didn't have that luxury. So my dad, without telling me that he was losing money was like, you have to get a job because like, if you can't, you can't live in New York. So I had to like really scrimp everything together in order to, to live there, but still not having like any idea of what was going on. What was that like for you? I mean, just on, I mean, there's so many levels that must affect you on your, I mean, just your entire sense of security, I imagine your uh, your sense of trust with your dad, and then just like your whole sense of like your place in the world and where you can go and the latitude that your life can take on. I don't know. So, can you go into that at all? I mean, for sure. It's uh, I think like my whole life kind of changed when I was twenty three. Uh, that was when my dad died, but also you know my mom has. Um, pretty severe Parkinson's disease. She's had it for, for most of my life. Um, she's been chronically ill. Uh, and I think 23 when my dad died and I like learned that there was nothing for us, that was definitely like a moment. Cause you know, like I, I went to Sarah Lawrence. I wanted to be like this avant-garde theater artist. Yeah. That's, <laughs> Just like... uh, that's, that's a thing a rich girl does. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's like all of my choices were like frivolous rich girl choices with no sort of like backing in reality. God, it's I like sometimes look back and I'm like, I am amazed that I am alive. Um, you found out that your dad died and he had no money at the same time. Yeah. Holy shit. While yeah, while he was dying, we got that while he was dying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was during this like two week span of, of my dad dying where it was like, Oh, by the way, like also there's nothing. That's Your like dad's a, that's actually like a fucking Wes Anderson movie or something. 
Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, to have like this. And it's like such a Wes Anderson movie because it was like a dysfunctional family that like doesn't really get along. Like, you know, I didn't, I don't like, I don't have like the best relationship with my brother, my oldest brother. Um, and uh, yeah, it was like a total Wes Anderson movie. And like we were in this massive, like my dad lived on a house that was uh, built on NORAD, which NORAD is a hollowed out mountain that yeah. has a, army base under it so my dad was like on this mountain house by himself it was like a beautiful massive house that he loved and then like we were in it and just like knew that you know that house went into foreclosure and that we lost everything god i mean i don't know i don't like i have so many questions about that time like like walk me through it a little bit like because I mean, a lot of that experience is very alien to me. Growing up wealthy and and losing a parent are both things that like I have not experienced, and um, and then the idea of just like getting out there. I, th- I think the thing that I can relate to is like I went to like a fancy art school, and then within a year of graduating was um like unemployed and selling plasma for money and like you know it's just like oh i can't i don't know what to do like because i graduated in 2008 and was just like all of a sudden was you know went from like art openings with like wine and cheese and shit to like you know just like ramen noodles and barely scraping by and was just like what what the fuck happened you know so i don't know like um just uh give me some snapshots of that of that time uh, in your life? I don't know if it's like a bad thing or a good thing. It might be like my like white person training, but I think I'm really good at shoving things down and just like moving forward. So like my, my brothers, uh, both like we all took it in different ways, but I think like for me, it was more like, okay, we don't have money. I have to like, I have to work. I have to figure out what I'm going to do to like cobble a life together. So I went from like, I worked, you know, like 14 different jobs from like babysitting and nannying to like, I I had a job. It fell through right before I was going to do it, but I was almost going to be a um, Emily Dickinson impersonator at the Bronx Botanical (laughs) Gardens. So I just would like do anything. And I think like, like it sucks. Like there's, there's times now when I, when I even I'm like, man, it'd be really, it'd be really nice to like still have that inheritance to still have that security blanket. And I think like, that's, that's when like the money piece comes back in for me I think it's more the the emotional piece that I find the hardest to get over where you know I didn't have like my dad was gone a lot I didn't have the best relationship with him when I was um when I was growing up but when I was older from like age 18 19 to 23 I got really close to my dad Mm -hmm. and it was like I, he was like the person because my my mom's sick and like she when you have Parkinson's you kind of like operate on a different sort of um, mental capacity so like my mom isn't really emotionally available 
So like if something would happen to me or I'd be proud about something, it would be my dad who I would call. And to lose that, that was the hardest thing. And like, it's the hardest thing even now. And like, I sometimes still get caught up. Like I, I don't have that. I don't, I don't have that in my mom. I don't have that in my dad. And it's like that, like being 23 and like basically not kind of like being an orphan um, is hard. Yeah. A broke orphan, no less. I mean, like, yeah. that's just, it's just crazy. I don't know. I mean, did that, had you really thought much about um, class and and wealth uh, beforehand? Um, like the, when you were younger, when you like had it in your head, they're like, oh, I, I have a lot of money to go to Sarah Lawrence. Isn't this like a thing that most people, like a, that a lot of people don't, get to experience or was this a thing that like came into focus afterward um when you you know like when you that money was just not there and you had to figure things definitely definitely afterwards um I think I it felt normal in some ways uh it didn't I it 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 was like this bubble I was in and and it wasn't until afterwards where I would like look back and like even with Ben now like I have like such embarrassing like dumb rich people habit or like weird things that crop up that are just like ingrained and from my like upbringing um but I really try I think the important thing is like when you do have or like when you grew up with that sort of wealth to to be transparent about it and like it's it's a part of like who who I am and like how I got here and like it's certain things about it are like super embarrassing and like shameful, yeah. but it like you, I think you have to, like, I can't pretend, you know, it's, it's a part of like how I was raised and um, yeah, there's, yeah, there's like weird, weird things that creep up. <laughs> yeah. Was your, your school was paid for um, already. So that, so at least like, at least that. Happened. Totally. Like, no. I mean, and like that, that's such a gift. Like I I graduated without student debt and like that is fucking that that's worth everything. Like that's an amazing gift. Yeah. I mean, like this was my experience going to a private art school was very weird just because like I was taking out these big ass loans and it wasn't like, I wasn't really, I was kind of doing your dad move. Like I was just taking out these big ass (laughs) loans, just like, this is what you do. Like, I don't know. And then just like kind of not really thinking about it. Like this will pay off. This will be fine. And then, um, and then slowly realizing that like, I was one of the only people who was like taking out that amount of money. Um, And other people's parents were like paying for their school completely. And then they're, but there was it felt like there was this real weird uh uh like boundary with people where it felt like it was like uncouth to bring up people's finances um to where like i felt like i would be rude if i were to tell any of my friends roommates whatever uh, classmates in college like well, things are different for you. You like you're because like I also like I didn't grow up like fucking in in like a trailer or anything. Like I grew up in like a a 
nice house with a garage and central air. Like my parents are both employed, you know, like we were doing okay. They just like, weren't doing well enough to pay for this exorbitant private art school in another state, you know, like they were like, well, we can send you a couple hundred bucks now and then, but we can't fucking finance your entire education. That's where I was at. So like, but there was this, you know, I feel like there was like always this uh, unspoken punk rock street cred kind of thing that everybody was trying to like hold up a facade of like, oh, I, I'm, you know, I'm not like that rich. I'm not like, you know, like I, I like there was something like really uncool about being rich, I guess, you know. Totally. And like, that's such, it's such bullshit. And that's why I think it's important to be transparent because like when you get into the art world and you're like, wait, why am I not as successful as like X, Y, and Z as that person? Most often the reason is because like that person had money and like, they didn't have to like scramble and like work 17 jobs and then also like try to be creative like the answers to like most things is is money and I think like knowing that and like seeing that and and being and having that awareness I think shifts the sort of like comparison where like if you don't have that you you're not going to have that luxury to just like sit around and you know live your Walden to life and like have your mom make you sandwiches while you write a book about a pond you know yeah I mean did you think that you were going to be able to like make it in New York without without the money um I think I did. I think it takes a certain amount of um, blind optimism to like be in New York and to pursue the arts when everything is like stacked against you. And like, I don't know, making it, I think that like shifts as you get older, you know, I think originally I thought that, you know, I don't know. Originally I like wanted to be a film star who does it. But then as I got older, like, that's so boring. And like, my idea of like making it has has shifted where it's like, I just want to work on cool projects with like nice people and also like enjoy my life. (laughs) Yeah. Um, How has your journey been with learning the balance between, you know, day job, you know, money job and creative output because that's that's the fucking balance yeah i'm not good at it uh i still don't think i really know um i think i'm a person that when i i'm like in some ways i'm very much like my dad where i'm like zero or a hundred where i'll either like overcommit myself and like just keep keep going until i like die and like work on four or five different things or i'll just do nothing um so that (laughs) I'm that is like something I think will be my life's work of like figuring out that creative balance have you figured it out uh getting there like a little bit like I've what I've discovered is uh that so far as my day job my money job it has to it's optimal when it's one that um, doesn't require a whole ton of mental energy. Um, 
where it's more like physical work where you're just like, go here and then do this, go here, go, you know, like, like dog walking or moving or like, you know, uh, uh, even, um, I was building crates in a, in like art handling for a while. And even that was like, okay. Cause I was just like, you know, you're following a blueprint and you just make the thing and you're not like communicating with people all day, answering emails, like that kind of stuff, like was, has always been really difficult for me to do as like sort of an ADHD person. And, uh, it's something that I have to be very focused on or not, you know, like with, with coordinating this podcast, um, or, or anything where I have to do that kind of stuff. Like I have to be like very focused on it or I'll just like forget the fucking like that I the Zoom meeting that I created or like you know I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll flake on people too like you know and I I don't like to do that you know or I'll I'll that's always my anxiety that mm-hmm. um you know if I want to do more stuff I've been wanting to do more like live stuff and set up more like live shows now that the world's kind of opening back up again and the anxiety that I have even like preemptively of like going into that and just like. Uh, how am I going to like make sure that everybody's there at the right time and all of that stuff? Like that is not my forte, but um, I don't know, but it it really overall mental health uh, is a huge factor because there are times when all I can really be asked to do, all I can really ask of myself is get up, put on clothes, go to your job, come home, like, eat something and sleep and that's it and that was the baseline that i was operating on for a couple years and wasn't doing anything insofar as creative uh projects or any like passion projects anything like that because i just didn't have the bandwidth to do it and then it would compound this uh you know, it, it would it would really like snowball this big problem where I was feeling worse and worse because more time was going by and I wasn't doing anything, you know, and I was just like, all I'm doing is working at this fucking thrift store, you know, I, and, and, and I'm not doing shit else, you know, and it sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I know exactly how that feeling is, but I think it's also like, I think something I've been thinking a lot about lately is like, my own sort of like creativity or like artistic ambitions and like divorcing myself. Like, I think my goal in life is just to live a creative life. And I'm trying to divorce myself from like thinking about that all of my worth just goes into what I can sell, you know, and like everything that like what I produce is my value where, uh, like, I think an example of that is like, I do, I like to do this thing uh, sometimes on the solstice, although we forgot it this year, of bring your own bush. And it's like a Kate Bush party, uh, usually with a maple around when there's isn't COVID times. But like, that's, that was like an indication of like, it's really for no one. Uh, there's no money to be made. It's just like an experience and I'm doing it because I like it. And I'm trying yeah. to, I think that that's like the work or like the creative balance I'm trying to do is just like do things because I like them and not because, and I think so much of my early life was like doing things because I thought it would get me somewhere. Yeah. And now I'm just like, 
I just want to do things because I enjoy it. And like, if it's for like two people, I don't care if it's just for me, like, that's really nice. And I think that that is like how I can try to stay sane and like not compare myself to people and like spiral out. Uh, it sounds like it, it took some time though to, to realize that. Um, and it, it took some time for me to do that too, because I mean, uh, I think, again, like religion, capitalism is the water in which we swim and uh, it influences us in all of these ways that we don't even realize until, you know, we are thinking about things in these quantitative terms, these numeric terms of uh, dollars and, I don't know, downloads and followers and less about uh, who, you know, what we're really trying to do and the message we're trying to get across and the vibe we're trying to establish with just even one other person, you know? Um, and, and that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, it's, it's this double-edged sword where, uh, you remove money from the picture and then it's this pure art for art's sake. You remove capitalism from the picture and then it's just, it's just a, a product of passion and love. However, we live in a world where the only people who really have the opportunity to do that are people who are independently wealthy. So totally. it's, it's just, it's, it's intensely frustrating where, you know, like the amount of people who I knew, you know, like growing up in the art school, private art school world who were just like, Oh, you get to be this like fucking train hopping, banjo playing, like free spirit <laughs> because you are completely fucking bankrolled by mom and dad. So, yeah, like, fuck you with your whole like Tom Waits thing. Like, I hate this, you know? So, I don't know. Like, and like the resentment. Oh my God, the fucking class resentment. Like, I'm still trying to like work past that and just be like, okay, like, you know, it wasn't it. It was the life that they were born into. It was luck, you know? So I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that that is a good, that is a good point of like those who can like afford the like joie de vivre or like the, the really rich people, yeah. you know, cause you're, you're allowed to, and maybe part of that, like divorcing myself from it is like, comes from my privileged background of like knowing what it's like and like, relaxing into it um but it is like i think one of the most like late capitalistic things i'm seeing is like the last thing that you can sell is now your identity with how everyone's trying to be an influencer and like yeah you know we all are brands now and like yeah. i really i really just like would love to be like a a witch in a cottage that everyone's afraid of like that sounds kind of nice and i just like have my plants and uh yeah but you my... gotta pay rent on that cottage you know not if uh not in my fantasy if i'm like really if i'm just like off the grid baby uh, i'm like an off the grid you know which um ben ben will be there too in some way but i don't think that's the life he wants no ben's definitely <laughs> i mean he's 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 kind of an indoor you know he yeah he, he likes he likes you know cable and uh yeah air conditioning and you know, movies and stuff. So I, I feel like yeah. it, it'd, it'd be really hard to get him to just like live in like a, <laughs> a, a, 
cottage with outdoor plumbing. I don't know if that's going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the, you know, his stomach, that'd be hard for him. Yeah. Um, so you made a podcast about, um, basically finding the guy who scammed your dad. Um, and you found him, you confronted him. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. For one, I don't, if your dad is being scammed, by someone I don't recommend beating him because it's just gonna be like a a fucking bummer um so yeah I mean like this guy this he was this white old man in the Philippines uh who would talk to my dad almost every day and my dad recorded most of the conversations so in in my closet where I'm sitting I have like a two Tupperwares just filled with cassette tapes of these recorded phone calls between my dad and Jim. Um, and so like, I, I remember hearing about the Philippines growing up and after my dad died, I asked my stepmom or I was just like, so what was the Philippines thing about? And that's when she like pulled out these cassette tapes. That's when she pulled out all these documents. And then she was just like, have fun. Like, I'm like sick of this part of my life. So, so she uh, did wait, I'm sorry. Did she know that um that he'd been ripped off and he had no money? She did she learned earlier than us, but like not that much earlier, oh. like maybe a month or two. But yeah, she she didn't really know either. And like she was like begging my dad to get out of the Philippines thing. God. Um yeah. <laughs> what is yeah. it with like creepy old dudes, old white dudes in the Philippines? Isn't that, is it the Philippines oh, or is it man. Malaysia where, where Ron and Jim Watkins live? The like, that it's the, the Philippines. Pe- it's, the, it's the Philippines. It's the, right? Yeah. Like, what is it? Like, what is these? I don't know, but like you would, you would just see it everywhere. These like really gross old men just like preying on these younger girls and like taking advantage yeah. of, of poverty, you know, of like, they they would probably pay these girls like shit money to like sleep with them and they would just like oh they were just like disgusting disgusting men like all over and i started to get like a little bit of like old white man blindness while i was there because like i you know people people were telling me that like jim if he's like connected to the criminal world would maybe try to have me killed so yeah. we had to like switch hotel rooms every night in manila we had to like take all these security precautions when i met him i had like an undercover security agent like guard watching me um and i just like got really paranoid and like scared hi daddy of um all these old white men yeah uh, okay god so wait you you found these tapes and how did you how did you track this guy down based on that i mean so i guess that's that's he, sort of the story of your podcast we should yeah people listen to it. definitely listen to the podcast but <laughs> yeah i mean essentially like i got his lawyer's email which like i don't know if maybe you edit this out but i'll just tell you it's the greatest email ever it's <laughs> so i just like emailed and uh was just like i was just like hi i'm terry robinson's daughter i'd like love to get in touch with jim and he's like oh he's at this hotel in manila and so i like 
figured out where he was. And then I called him one day and was like, hi, Jim. Um, my name's Maggie and I'd like love to come and visit you. <laughs> and that was, and that was it. God. What was that phone call like? Oh God. I was so nervous. I was so nervous and I like, I didn't want to do it. And now that like, I, I like act more as a producer on podcasts. I have a lot of, um, a lot of sympathy for the producer on my podcast. Cause there's like a lot of things I just like, didn't want to do. And I think I was like, difficult because it was so emotional for me yeah so I remember him being like you have to call him and you have to be nice to him and I was like I was like oh god I know you're right but I was like I really I really don't and I just remember like my stomach being up in knots and being like oh my god I like don't want him to pick up um but I think like, that's the thing I think I'm like, so ingrained to be nice. So like the whole time I was just like very nice to him. Yeah. Did you ever think of doing it off the record? Just like not doing it like as, as method, as part of a podcast and just, and just going there yourself. Um... That's a great question. I, I always feel like when people say that's a great question, it's like a moment to pause because I don't know how to answer it. <laughs> sure. so that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, I don't know. It never crossed my mind. I think because I like, I like think as of things as like potential performances or yeah. creative ideas. I think it always felt to me that it had to be, it had to be something more and maybe it was maybe that's something more was like a little bit of closure or like a little bit of yeah. like an emotional journey. I wanted to go on and take people on it with me. I mean, I think you made the right call. I, I think that would be just like a, a incredible waste of a crazy ass story, you know, finding fucking audio tapes that your dad made. I mean, like that is, that's some, I mean, not that I envy the situation, but that is a, uh, a crazy ass story that just sort of fell into your lap, you know? And, um, you know, I mean, the, the idea of doing that just off the record on your own without, without documenting it. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you. Like, I, I don't think I, like, <laughs> I'd want to make a thing out of it. Like, because it's, because it's insane. It's, it's a very uncommon life. So, um, so you ended up meeting this guy. Uh, Jim was his name. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Yeah. And so what was, what was that like? Uh, again, incredibly nerve wracking. I had this like undercover security guard who he was like vaguely European. And I was like, Oh, where, where are you from? Are you like German, Swedish? And he's like, Europe. And he like, right. wouldn't, he wouldn't tell me. Um, and I remember like, again, this is like a bad, I guess a bad part of my personality, but I remember them being like, Maggie, you're going to have to sit in the middle seat because like if a motorcycle comes with like shotgun or like a machine gun, we'll easily be able to like duck you down. And I was like, I was able to like push all that down and be like, okay. Right. <laughs> you know? like, I don't, I, I guess that's just like ultimate compartmentalization. Um, so I remember we like pulled up, it was at this hotel called the Shangri-La um, hotel. And it was me and uh, this producer and 
we like met Jim. He brought his like young new wife. Jim was like 93 at the time. His wife was 40 or like 39. Yeah. Um, And I, I remember like there was one thing that I had to do that I was like so nervous about where legally in order for us to use the tapes, I had to tell Jim on tape that I had these tapes and I would listen to them. And so like the whole, the whole moment, I just was like, so, so nervous and so focused to do like that one legal thing. Um, right. But it, it like, I haven't listened to the whole conversation in a long time, but like, I think that's what I, why I say like, don't, don't meet your dad's con artist because like everything about it was disappointing. Like I was disappointed that my like dad believed this guy. Cause as soon as I like met him, he was like, I have a briefcase that has a brochure on the Ark of the Covenant for you that I'm going to give you. Um, so I was like disappointed that my dad like believed the him. Right. Um, I kind of wanted to be conned by him so I could be like, oh yeah, there's like no way my dad, like I get it. But like, it was just all so far-fetched. Um, I felt like I was so nice to him. Um, maybe in my defense, because people told me that he's going to kill me. So I felt like I had to be nice to him. Right. Well, yeah. But there was no, like, he never admitted he wasn't like, yeah, I conned your dad. Or he wasn't like, hey, I'm really sorry. He was just like, uh, you know, your dad made an investment and bad investments happen. So I don't know what to tell you. And I just remember it it just was like a fucking bummer. Everything about it. Like, there was no catharsis. It was just a bummer. I mean, I'd, I'd fucking kill the guy. Like I would, like, I don't, I don't know what I would do. Like, you know, like it just, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember like, you know, this guy was in my dad's life for like 11 years, maybe more than that. And, and like the only thing he could say about my dad were these like pleasantries that you say about anyone. Like he was a nice guy. He like, he lived a good life and like he, he didn't, he couldn't like, say these anecdotes about my dad he can be like yeah like your dad really like would call me pissed off sometimes you know he just like he was another mark yeah, he probably did that... this did this to dozens and dozens of people totally he is just another mark and um that that's all it was and i think i wanted it to to be more or to mean more yeah were you On a scale of one to ten, like how mad were you at at Jim, and versus how mad were you at your dad for falling for this? I think it's pretty. I think it's split down the middle. I think I was both mad at my dad equally as much as I was mad at Jim. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there is. I mean, there's that moment. I think in everybody's life when they realize that their parents are human um and and that they make mistakes and shit but the severity to which that is illustrated to them is is often you know it's it's very different like you you know you you see you know your your parent screw something up and you're like oh or are they wrong about something or they're like they, they do something stupid versus you know like i mean i've talked to all kinds of people who just like you know they don't talk to their parents anymore their parents are just like degenerate drunks and just like you know and then it's just like 
oh, so the person who was responsible for me as a person was just not someone who is to be trusted. Like, what the fuck do you do with that information? Totally. Totally. I mean, like, I've had friends who have, like, given birth recently where, like, I remember one of my friends telling me she's, like, holding her baby and then they're like, okay, you can leave. And she was like, you're just letting me, like, leave? Like, you don't know me? Like, I have no idea what I'm doing and you're, like, letting me, like, leave with this human? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that it's, like, it's, it's, it's maybe the like last coming of age milestone. It's like when you realize that your parents are just as fucked up as you are. Yeah. It's hard. I don't know. Um, let's talk about let's, I mean, we've been sort of talking about, you know, trauma and all of this stuff, but let's, let's go more explicitly to the mental health corner. Um, yeah, let's, this is the time where we talk about, uh, therapy and uh mental illnesses and any of your experiences in that realm yeah um so i think because i you know even though i did grow up wealthy uh my parents divorced and my mom has been chronically ill with a degenerative disease since i was like 10 i have been in therapy for most of my life Hmm. um i i there's like the therapist who I have now, I would say saved my life. Um, in a lot of ways, I had a really bad year. Uh, maybe it was three, three, four years ago where, um, I was feeling suicidal for the first time. I'm like, just being really real. Uh, uh, it was, I just was in like a horribly depressive spiral that I didn't see any way out of. Um, and I was suicidal. I, uh, I thought that uh, it would just be easier if I didn't live. And um, I told my therapist that, and she, she forced me. I like, I like my therapist with a touch of woo. So she is like a touch of woo, but uh, she, she forced me to go on antidepressants and, without them i probably would have killed myself and i uh i'm very 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 grateful to her uh for that and that i like actually listened to her she didn't force me but like i actually listened to her and i took them and i know antidepressants are not for everyone but at that moment in my life i really needed them yeah i mean you if you're in that space, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a tool to try. They're not a, you know, it's not a panacea, but it is something that can, can help immensely. That was your first time taking antidepressants. Yeah. I, that was my first time I was pretty resistant to them. She asked, she like floated it by me, um, before. And I just was like, absolutely not. Um, what was your resistance? I think just like a, a, a weird bias. I, I thought it was like weak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like such a horrible thing. I, um, I think I thought it's like that pull yourself up by your bullshit bootstraps bullshit, yeah, yeah. you know, of like, you should just get over it. Uh, but then I realized that when you're in a spiral like that, you just can't, you yeah. see no way out. Were and you like, still, there's I no mean, shame. Were you, were you, uh, 
working were you still like working on stuff uh like so far as day job creative stuff or were you just like couch locked uh i had a i had a day job that was like killing me oh this was <laughs> that job was yeah, like, I, remember, I remember this yeah job. yeah, this yeah. Job was a bad job yeah yeah and i think that that was like the catalyst for it helped. um yeah, I think it was just like, I actually have this memory of like going, I was in Union Square and I just was like feeling so low that I like went into Lush and like they, this like lady was, oh my God, she was so kind where I, she was like, how are you? And I just like started to cry. <laughs> she like, she like sat me down. She like talked to me and then she's like, you know what? I'm just going to give you like a couple of like free things uh and then you're gonna come back next week and like visit me because I want to make sure that you're all right and it like that it's like those little moments like those little New York moments um and I I kick myself I was gonna go back and see her but I did it because I felt like embarrassed about it but I think about her a lot wow I don't I mean that's great though there's some out somewhere out there there's this like lush employee you know that's oh that's that's totally saved a life i don't know it's great she totally did she totally did and i'll probably think about her for the rest of my life yeah yeah i don't know i've had i had one run-in like that um where i just like all of a sudden out of nowhere this like torrent of emotion came out (laughs) like and, and it was it was very it was it was a weird moment like i was in college and I was all kinds of depressed. It was the middle of winter. I think it was my first winter up in Minnesota, like away from, you know, my hometown and my family and everything. And I was just having a really hard time. And uh, I was, I was not in like therapy or anything. Um, It was, I was just sort of white knuckling it. And I was like, kind of, I don't know. I was just like really, there was a lot of things going on. It was seasonal depression. It was loneliness. It was, you know, angst. It was this like unrequited, you know, crush love thing I had with this person. But I ran into um, my friend's girlfriend who like I had met like once before. And I had just come home from Best Buy with a DVD player. And I was like, just going to go like set up a DVD player in my room. And I was just like holding onto this DVD player box. And she was just like, oh, hey, Brad, how are you? And like, I was, I just started crying, <laughs> like holding a fucking DVD player. Like, and it was like, and I, I almost immediately, like within like five minutes was laughing at myself about that because I was just like, I'm just, I was just sitting here just like crying to this girl who doesn't know me holding a DVD player you know, like up to my right. shins and snow. And I was just like, what is my life? It's just so, I don't, I don't know. It's very weird. Totally. But then like, you could think about there's maybe there's moments in your life where you're that person and they're like, man, this like one guy just like gave me or like was really nice to me. And I like really needed that. And I'll yeah. like never forget it. I mean, I hope that that's what I can be to, to some people, but I mean, you know, that's that's hard to fucking do, especially in New York, because you just don't have time for everybody's shit. Like, oh, yeah. And everything's a just, pain. Everything's a pain. I'm just like, I'm just trying to get to my next fucking I don't have to, I don't have time to I don't have the, you know, uh, emotional labor points for you right now. I'm sorry. You know, and, yeah. and that's that's something that is 
kind of one of the hardest things about living here as somebody who, you know, uh, I try and be as empathetic with people around me as possible, but it's hard to do when you're surrounded by so many people and your brain just can't process that there's that many people with all their hopes and dreams and needs around you. So you just kind of, you know, you'd like just sort of turn them into NPCs, you know, and you just sort of like walk past them and they're just sort of like background noise. But like, it's very hard to, you know, just, I don't know, to shift gears and to like level with somebody and have a human moment when you're, when you're in that headspace of just like, I'm just trying to buzz around in my own world my own my totally my own business you know totally no I like I think that's part of the reason I mean I really miss New York but I think part of the like good thing about leaving is like I'm an incredibly empathetic person to a fault that it's really hard for me to separate what's mine and what isn't and like the exhaustion that I would feel day in and day out just from like the collective sadness that's around um it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about your your art, because um, you, you do a lot of different things. You're in a uh, Dolly Parton cover band. You do a lot of music, performance. Uh, talk, talk a lot. T- talk a little bit about uh, that stuff. Yeah. Um, I um, I play in a Dolly Parton cover band. I did like avant-garde theater. I think I've always been like a performer type um but i have a really hard time kind of identifying what i do and like in a category yeah same um yeah so i like i don't i'd like just follow my curiosities um and i yeah like i'm not i'm not a good drawer like i'm not an artist in that way right um but yeah i have a hard time describing myself and my like artistic practice and like what I do and I think I'm just trying to be like more comfortable with like I think that's why I say like I want to like live a a creative life in ways that I can because I think that performing I hope will always be a part of my life even when I'm like 70 um and I hope that that doesn't go away but I hope that I like still will follow my curiosities and like create from that place. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like I have a very similar, uh, I don't know, feeling about who I am as a artist, creative person, whatever I want to call myself, because I do a couple of different things and my interests shift all the time. And, you know, I haven't like, I was drawing every day for years and then I just stopped. Like, I don't think I've drawn anything since like October of last year, you know? And, and I just, I, I, I can't do it right now, you know? And I go in and out of these things, but the, again, it's one of these things that capitalism forces creative people to do is to pick a lane pick a a label so you have something to introduce yourself uh as you know at at the cocktail party you have something to uh put on your business card Uh, not that anybody uses business cards anymore but you know like you have some you have some sort of category to put yourself in and that's not how everybody fucking feels because we weren't we didn't live for 
thousands and thousands of years as like hunter gatherers <laughs> to be put into specific to be like, little like categories. I'm actually a, only a raspberry gatherer. Yeah. It's just, you know, you do kind of a couple of different things and you maybe like, I don't know, I, you, you change and you grow through throughout your life and, and interests come and go, jobs come and go, relationships come and go. So like, why do you have to necessarily pick the thing forever? If you do, that's great. If like, I'm jealous of those people who are just like, I knew when Same. I was 17 that I wanted to be a musician. I knew when I was 15 that I wanted to be a stand-up. And I'm like, that's great. That fucking rules. And, you know, they usually get a lot further, you know, because they actually have a focused path. But, like, I I never I never did, you know? Yeah. Same. Same. I, like, want to take – I want to experience it all. Mm. But I – um. I think that that's true. I think the only like constant of like what you're saying of like jobs come and go, curiosities come and go. Like I really am trying to embrace the chaos and like the only constant in life is change and like right. being comfortable with it. Yeah. Like I think it's, it's good to like, I think mental health is such a stigma and I think it's important to, to like for people to talk candidly about it because like, when you're in a state like that, like you think you're alone and you're just not. Um, and I think, I think it's an important thing to talk about. So I appreciate yeah. the space to like talk candidly about it. And sometimes those of us who are the most gregarious or have like a, a good sense of humor are the ones who are like the ones who are struggling the most because it's like our coping mechanism. Yeah. So then it's hard to even like know as a friend who to fucking reach out to and be like, hey, you okay? You seem like you're in a really good mood. You want to talk? <laughs> you made a really know. good joke. Yeah. 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 You, Sometimes yeah. I treat my Your tweets have been therapy. fire lately. Are you okay? Like, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's hard to know. I mean, like, honestly, like some of the times when I am, uh, when I'm having the most kind of intense uh you know bad thoughts intrusive thoughts that's when also uh my best ideas come through or like sometimes like the funniest things that i've ever thought of um you know like when i was making the um the the stickers with the with the dogs and the depressive phrases like that's when it was mm -hmm. just like I was having like 12 of those a day but it was just like it was uh I heard friend of the show Will Winner talk about this on a on a different podcast but he was talking about this time when he was really mentally suffering and he compared it to tinnitus it was like mental tinnitus it was mm. just this like constant buzzing in his head that he couldn't get rid of um and that's what it was like but the byproduct of that was i came up with a lot of jokes that i you know threw out to the internet and like got 12 likes and that was that was about it that was you know that was the long and short of it but you know yeah 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 no totally it's like i think it's why i love brian wilson because he like is the poster child for that yeah. in some ways like his creativity comes from his depression it's i mean that's so so many of the most uh 
brilliant people. I don't know. And, and it's, that's always the question. Like, do you, like, do you get better or do you continue to suffer through your yeah. work? But like, I don't, I don't know. If Even I though really, I don't think that's I don't true. Really, yeah, I don't really buy into that. Like, I think for a while you can use that as the source. And if that's how you get through it, then great. But you're also going to have to get yourself through it in other ways. Cause you can't yeah. just fucking art your way through, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, through, yeah, through, through an addiction or through like suicidal ideation, like totally. you're going to have to get like help and get away from that headspace after a while, because otherwise it's, it's going to take you, you know, and it's, and totally, you know, then totally, then what fucking art are you making? You know? Right. Right. Yeah, totally. And I think that was my hesitation on taking antidepressants was I was afraid my creativity you thought was going to go away. You thought away. that they were going to stifle your creativity? Yeah. Did you find that to be the case? No. Yeah. See, that's the thing. Like, I also, I mean, I, I mean, I guess I'm talking myself back and forth because I also find that when I'm in a good headspace, I come up with, you know, I, I'm more willing. Well, I don't know. A lot of my best inspirations, I guess, come from the dark side, you know, like a lot of my best, uh, ideas come from a bad headspace, but if I'm in that bad headspace, I'm not doing shit with it. So I have to get myself into a good headspace because it's going to come and go. Like those moods are going to happen. And that's the thing that I've realized about depression is that it's chronic it's oftentimes kind of a a lifelong thing that like mm-hmm. you get on top of and then like you sink back in and you have to keep kind of climbing back up out of it um and you have to keep developing new tools to keep moving ahead of it because it it learns and it adapts and it is like i don't know it like your brain if it's set to sort of self-destruct it will it can adapt to the things that you have learned the tools that you have learned um but all that to say you will you will have good days and bad days whether yeah. you're on your shit or not and um so i don't know uh you're gonna you're going to have those moments like you you are going to like how do i put this if you're worried that you get all of your inspiration from um you know th- your your anger or your sadness or or your your you know sense of doom or whatever um and you're worried about getting better because then you'll run out of uh you know, fuel, like, don't worry, because that is not going anywhere. <laughs> like, you right, just learn, totally. You just learn how to deal with it. You just learn how to channel it. You just learn how to uh, make it something that you can that you can live with. Because for me, uh, and I don't know if this is your experience, like every bad thought that I've had every like we're doomed what's the point of life like that's still <laughs> there i like i still like totally i'm still just like yeah yeah totally but uh, you know 
but I'm just totally. going to just keep getting up and, and going. And those thoughts will occur to me like, you know, it, you don't matter, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, cool. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I already established that. And I just keep going. Right. So right. Like, it's yeah. not like that shit ever goes away, you know? No, I think you just like ignore it better. You don't let it take over. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, Maggie, this has been great. Would you, Thanks, do you have anything? Brad. Thank you so much for being on. This is this has been a long time coming, honestly. I don't know why I haven't yeah. invited you on the show before. I'm no, I'm so honored. I'm so honored. It to should be, be like, here, you know, so. like I don't know why I didn't put two and two together. You know, you'd be like, <laughs> well, I mean, she does podcast shit, she's an artist, she's you know, sad she's, and depressed. Stuff. she's depressed. Yeah. Like, <laughs> stupid. Um, so uh is there anything that you would like to plug? I know you're you're doing a show uh in New York fairly soon. I am on July 3rd. I'm playing the the Bell House for uh, with Doll Parts. Hell yeah. And, and so if you like Dolly Parton, come through. All right. Uh, if people want to find you on socials or anything, do you want to do you want to plug that? Yeah, uh, I'm on social. I mainly use Instagram. So it's mm-hmm. Maggie the Maggie. All so right. That's where you can find me. And it's Doll Parts Band as Doll Parts. Um, <laughs> And yeah, thank you. (laughs) Go see them if you're in the New York area. They're fucking amazing. They put on one hell of a fucking banger of a show. Like, thank you. I can't can't wait um, to to see you again and and to and to see me too. To see see doll parts play again. It's gonna be wild. Yeah, I'm so I'm so excited to see you to to see New York again. It'll be good. Thank you once again to Maggie Robinson Katz. That was a fun talk. Miss her. Miss being able to, you know, just uh, talk to one person, watch VHS tapes and shit. That's a common activity we used to do together. We VHS. We have we have a. She has a. Her and her husband have a VHS collection. Weird old random tapes and shit. It's very fun. And we do it over Zoom, like we've been doing. And that's just sort of like what it became because now they live in another state. But it's it's not the same. It's not quite the same, right? Anyway. It's going to be good to see her again back in New York. Um, And you're going to enjoy uh, seeing them perform Doll Parts. Once again, July 3rd, Bell House. Go do it. I'm going to assume you're already vaccinated because I my, my rant at the beginning of the episode filled you with such guilt. that you went and got vaccinated while listening to this episode. If you weren't already. I did it. I made a difference with my art. I'm saving the world. But go see them. They're, they put on a fucking amazing show. Maggie's got some pipes, kid. She can sing. She's a fucking born performer. Go see it. All right. Uh, music is by Shea Bartel patreon.com slash self worst uh follow me radical pearson on twitter and instagram follow the show at self worst on instagram get updates about the show get some depression memes it's fun stuff and uh that's about it i'm gonna get out of here i turn the fan back on all right uh until next time go out and fail it's good for you bye <laughs>